It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 on a Saturday morning, and this is Lawn and Garden, my friends. It's 71 degrees outside. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I'm here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do in your landscape, with your lawn, with your flowers, with your bugs inside, with your critters in the attic. If you have a question, beginner question, first-time caller question, any kind of question, we'll figure it out for you. Ashley Frasca is here screening calls. You'll talk to her for a few minutes. And then she'll get sort of get your your thoughts arranged in your head, and then she'll send you on to me, and we will talk for a few minutes ourselves and bring you an answer that is satisfactory. That's hopefully bring you brings you a little more success in your life. One of the things that you learn if you've been a gardener in Georgia for very long is that this is the time of year that caterpillars become very noticeable in the landscape, and more importantly, not just the regular you know, slim caterpillars that eat the leaves on your oak trees and get up in the uh, pecan trees and make the big webs and sorts, things like that. But the venomous caterpillars, the ones that sting when you touch them. And I had three, count them, one, two, three emails this past week with people saying, I have this little green caterpillar and it has a brown sort of spot on the back and these spiky looking things at both ends. What is it? I touched it and it really, really hurt. And so I could tell them, well, that's a saddleback caterpillar. It's about an inch. The big ones will be a little bit longer than that, but about an inch is how long they are. Bright green, big brown spot on the back. Unmistakable. You cannot mistake them for anything else. Saddleback caterpillar. Those little hairs at the ends of the, of the body are very distinct and noticeable. If you touch one, particularly if it's on a tender part of your body like your cheek or your ear or the back of your hand or elbow or something like that it burns like fire it is hot 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 and you will go squeaming into the house and say mama what have i done what did you do? mama put some ice on it it hurts so do, do avoid the saddleback caterpillar if you see one before it touches you and unfortunately because it's green many times You'll see it after you've already touched it, and you'll think, man, that hurts when it stings you or the venom gets on your skin. Another one email this week was a very distinctive caterpillar in a sort of different way called the puss caterpillar, P-U-S-S, a puss caterpillar. And the puss caterpillar looks like a little piece of cat fur, really, a little piece of dust about, it could be anywhere from half an inch to almost an inch, a little bit more, maybe long, brown and looks really soft. I mean, you will be very, very tempted to touch that caterpillar and just see what it is. It's there on the leaf or on the limb or somewhere on the tree that you're passing by. But the puss caterpillar, too, has those urticating spines. That's what they're called. The spines that have a little bit of venom at the tips of them. And if you touch it with your fingers, whoo, that's another one that's going to give you a real reaction, make you jump up and holler. The puss caterpillar. Look out for that as well. So two common venomous caterpillars this time of year, one the puss caterpillar, one the saddleback caterpillar. Both of them, if you encounter them, will be an encounter you will not forget. They are something to behold. 
if you see, by the way, if you see a picture, or I should say, if you see one, take a picture of it, particularly the Puss Caterpillar. I only have one picture of it on my website. I would love to have another one. And there are two more. There's the Isle Moth Caterpillar, and there's the, the one that has a sort of stripes on its body. I can't remember the name of it now, but there are two more venomous caterpillars you might see or run, run, run into or encounter in the landscape this time of year. And they're not very common, and I'm not going to mention them right now, but do, if you see or run into another type of venomous caterpillar, let me know. Oh, the third caterpillar I wanted to mention that I have not gotten any emails about, but I will, is the hickory horned devil. Now, the hickory horned devil looks like it would kill you. It is so big. It is as big as a hot dog. My friends, it is big. It has a sort of a dusky green body with orange uh, markings on it. At either end of his body, he has these big black horns with, again, little spines on it. So it certainly makes you think, oh, man, that's a dangerous caterpillar. Shoot him before, shoot him before he gets it and chases me around the yard. But the hickory horned devil, despite his fearsome appearance, has no damage to you at all. I have a picture of the kid next door, Christy, with one on her hand, looking at me in the camera, just thinking, whoa, look at this big caterpillar, look at this. It doesn't hurt, doesn't bite, doesn't sting, doesn't do anything. The only thing it does uh, accidentally is it gets knocked out of trees and in high winds sometimes. They'll come out of the tree, fall to the ground, they pupate this time of year sometimes, and so they come out of the tree naturally. But that hickory horned devil will certainly be something that you'll you'll remember when you see, when you see it. It comes in a lot of times pecan trees, hickory trees, sometimes oak trees, sometimes sweet gum trees. But the hickory horned devil is a big, big caterpillar, but completely harmless. Let's go to the phones. We've got Jimmy Delonga who joins us this morning. Hey, Jim, good morning. Good morning. Hey, brother, what's going on? Uh, I planted some purple hole peas earlier this year. Yeah. And, man, they did absolutely outstanding. I had three rows that are 50 feet long. Yeah. And uh, I should have had uh, a lot of peas this year, but I only had, like, uh, I finished up with about two bushels of peas and my vines they were all over the garden it was uh why did i only get a little bit of peas and a lot more vines and everything hmm i was going to ask you what happened to the deer because the deer usually eat them up pretty fast i got i got a i got a big old seven foot fence all the way around Uh, that's what makes the difference there jim Uh, if the soil is pretty rich the peas and beans and members of that family are all plants that don't require a lot of a lot of nitrogen and so if you fertilize peas or beans very much they end up making a whole lot of foliage a lot of vines and leaves and stuff without making a lot of 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 fruits or vegetables or peas or beans i guess or pods so that's the only thing i can think of offhand is the soil was a little bit rich or perhaps you fertilized a little bit more than they needed jimmy but that's the best explanation i have Alrighty. I well, I have one more question. Is yeah, that sure. okay? We got time. We got oh, a lot that, of time. That 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 uh my okra is uh I measured it yesterday and uh it's eight foot tall. <laughs> now is that is that could be the reason too? I mean I got a bunch of okra, man. My okra is doing very well, but it's it's right now is eight foot tall and still growing. Yeah, it could be. Although I've seen Mr. Hodges around the corner from me had one ten feet tall that <laughs> he would take a stick and reach up to the top and pull it down so he could. Ah, <laughs> yeah, you gotta have a, gotta have a stiff ladder. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say eight feet for okra in first day of September is about right. Maybe a little bit taller than 
than most. But uh, what variety do you do you remember? What you have, Jimmy? I actually, I have a Cherokee Indian okra. Okay, is what I have. What are the pods? I don't know if you ever like? heard of it? What do the pods look like? Uh, the pods. I don't, uh, what do you mean? I on mean, the, I'm, on the okra, are they short, are they long, skinny? Oh, they're they're, they're slender, long. Uh-huh. And then when they get, you know, how, uh, when they get the, even when they get real long, they're still real tender. Mm. Not, it's not hard. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Clemson spineless, even though it's been planted all over the South for fifty years, probably. The reason it was planted mostly was because it didn't have any spines. And you, if it probably picked okra before, when the spines get on your skin, that's the most irritating thing in the world, to get those little spines off the leaves and off the, off the okra pot yes, of your skin. I heard a guy say one time that he would rather do some mean, nasty thing rather than run naked through an okra patch because he knew that <laughs> running naked through an okra patch would be something he was be very unpleasant for him. So... As far as the okra goes, there are some that are get a little woodier, like Clemson Spinus gets a little woody and stringy when it gets older. But some, like yours, like your Cherokee uh, pod, and then there's some of the little bitty pods on them that you can eat fresh and raw. They just pop them right off the off the uh, stem and eat the fresh ones about an inch, two inches maybe long, and they're just delicious. Even when you just pop them off and put them in your mouth, almost like a tomato, but they're not sweet. But they really taste yes, good and nice, nice thing to eat. So again, purple hull peas, maybe a little more fertilizer than it needed there, Jim. Uh, the okra, maybe a little more than it needed too, but man, you got the okra, so eat that and enjoy it. Well, I sure do appreciate it. Jimmy, it is my great pleasure to talk to you. We'll see you soon, friend. Yes, sir. You have a good one. 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Jimmy's place. If you would like to have a fall garden, Hopefully Jimmy's doing the same, thinking about the things you can plant in the fall. It's still about 10 days too early right now, I would say. About 10 days or 7 days maybe too early to plant much of anything. But if you wanted to plan for planting some of the cool season crops like collards, like uh, lettuce, like, um, let's say, spinach, sure, could go in the, broccoli, sure, Brussels sprouts, sure. Onions, Yeah. There are a lot of things that can be planted in a fall garden, and you can harvest them sometimes on up into Christmas almost. And so if you have some ideas of what you'd like to do, or if you need ideas of what you'd like to do, give me a call again, 404-872-0750, or go to my website and type three letters, U-G-A. Three letters, U-G-A at my website, WalterReeves.com. It'll take you to a page where I have all of the gardening publications put out by the University of Georgia Extension Service. And it has garden plans, garden planning times, garden uh, tips for preventing disease, just all the things you might need to be successful as a gardener. WalterReeves.com, type the letters U-G-A in the search line. It's 617 at Newstalk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. Well, the first days are the hardest days. Don't you worry anymore. Cause when life looks like easy street, there is danger at your door. Think this through with me. Let me know your mind. Whoa, oh, I 
Well, not much danger on our street this weekend. In fact, the weather forecast for the weekend is pretty much ditto, ditto, ditto. Today, mix of sun and clouds, high of 89, low of 72. Tomorrow, mix of sun and clouds, high of 89, low of 72. Monday, you got it, high of 89, low of 72. It could be 90 degrees, could be 71 degrees. It's basically the same thing, 20% chance of rain all three days. It's going to be a great Labor Day weekend. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Alfonso comes up right this very minute. Hey, friend Alfonso, what you doing? What's going on? All right. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure, Alfonso. What's up? Uh, I um, have a fig tree at home. Uh, It's about seven years old. And uh, uh, last year we have a little bit, very little fruit. This year we have a lot more. Right. Uh, Not all of it ripe, uh, like half of it. Yeah. And some of it got like a little hole on the bottom and start, you know, getting rot. Ah. Uh, somebody tell me that we might need to spray it. I don't know what to spray it with. And no. uh, I don't know if uh, there's anything that I can do about it. Alfonso, I'll tell you what I think it is. And it seems a little odd this year for water problems to be common on figs because we had pretty much rain during the summertime it wasn't really dry during the summertime at all but i found on my figs that i watered them about five days maybe before it looked like they were going to be ripe and they ripened up just on schedule boom 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 i picked a whole bunch of them and then came a really rainy day and i had about a quarter of the crop still on it and they looked like they exploded (laughs) the water the rain or whatever got into it they're And they sort of blew up on the on the tree. Nothing that I could do about it. Nothing that you could do about it. Particularly, it's just it got wet real fast. Got bacteria or fungi or something inside the fruit, and blew up. So that's exactly what it did to to ours. Yeah. So frankly, what you're going to do? <laughs> you can't put an umbrella over it. You can't dry out the soil. You just sort of have to say, that's the way it was this year. Does it have any fruit on it now, Alfonso? Any fruit on the fig now? It's still a lot of fruit. It just didn't ripe. It's still green. You know, give it a time. It's possible that some of that fruit will go ahead and ripen and that you'll have figs in two or three weeks. It all, again, depends on sunshine. It depends on water. It depends on temperature in the air. A lot of things go into making fruit ripen, and figs being seems like one of those that takes a lot of good things together to make it ripen perfectly. But I still think two weeks from now you might say, look at there, I've got figs on my bush that I can eat and pick right now. It's 628 at News Talk WSV. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.35 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape by whatever means necessary. 404-872-0750 is the number. And again, beginner gardener, experienced gardener, we don't care. If you don't know the name of your plant, we don't care. We'll figure it out with you. We want you to know what you need to know. Let's go to the phones here. We've got, uh, let's see, Todd comes to us first. Hey, Todd. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. What's going on? 
Hey, question. So about 30 days ago, I'm sitting in my yard, and I'm looking at my hydrangeas, and I think, oh, it'd be nice to have more of those. Yeah. So I take about 15 clippings, put the rooting powder on them, put them in six-inch pots, and uh, water them. And now I've got 15 small, uh, nice little plants, probably six inches tall. Great, huh? Uh, My question. My question is, what do I do with them now? Do I have to get them in the ground, yeah. um, and will they survive in the ground? Yeah. I've never seen a hydrangea that small in any of the garden stores, so I guess uh, i got nice plants. I just don't know what to do with them. Remind me again what size pot they're in now. It's probably a six-inch pot. Okay. Basically, they, they, they're just one little stem plant. With I mean, the leaves are coming in. Some of them have four. Some have, like, eight leaves. Got it. Uh, and you probably haven't taken the nerve to pull one out of the pot just to see how well the roots are developed in there at all, have you? No, I sure have not. Um, that wouldn't hurt too badly to do that. Take one and just gently, gently, gently pull it out, wash the dirt off of it real gently, I guess, and see what the roots look like. If the roots have filled up the pot, and hydrangeas root really quickly, as you found out, so if the roots really fill up the pot, I wouldn't have much problem in going ahead and transplanting them outside. If, on the other hand, the pot is just you know, little bitty roots, white roots here, here, and there, and there, it's still pretty tender and needs some babying. But in neither case would I bring them indoors for the wintertime because I think indoors it's hard to keep them watered. It's hard to give them the right uh, temperature conditions in the winter to make them happy for next year. And so it would just depend on how many roots they have as to what kind of exposure I leave them in this winter. One option, and this is something I do at my house all the time, Todd. I have a little bed in the back, two beds actually, in the back of the house, back of it sort of on the little hill in the garden behind, that are I call my nurse beds. And the nurse beds are just that, for little plants that don't quite have the energy, the size to put them out permanently in the landscape, and I plant them in the nurse bed. So with yours, good roots, not so good roots, either way, I think it'd be easy enough to very gently pull the whole root mass out of each of those six-inch pots, plant them nice and gently in a nurse bed, uh, six or eight, ten inches maybe apart from each other, and just wait. Make yourself a little nurse bed, wait till next spring. When they've leafed out nicely next spring, they'll have good roots then, transplant them wherever you want to then. Awesome. That's a great, that's a great idea. Yeah, and Thanks the, for the call. You can do that with azaleas, with hydrangeas. It all just depends on how good the roots are developed. If they have good roots on them, you can do more with them than if they don't. But don't worry too much about pulling them out just to examine the roots. If they have roots, they will, they'll recover pretty easily. All right, Walter. Thank you for the call. Great talking to you, Todd. Thanks for calling. we got, let's see, Joel's in Tucker and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Joel. Hi, Walt. Hey. Uh, you sort of answered uh, one of my two questions uh, when you were talking to Todd. Yeah. Uh, in my case, it's azalea cuttings. But the other problem I have is this. Uh, one of the places where I want to put the cuttings in, uh, I had a tree trunk ground up, and there's a lot of wood chips in there. And I know that's a no-no to plant in an area like that, or at least plant immediately. Well, maybe, maybe my, not. We keep going. Well, my first question is, how long does it take for those wood chips to uh deteriorate sufficiently to be pl- uh, for the area to be plantable and the second question is a possible solution that i have so how well, long first let's go with number one how long there is a growing body of research that says that arborist wood chips which means what you've got there or what the guys will come and dump off a truck after they cut down a tree arborist wood chips can be used in many ways 
more than we used to use them before. It used to be, I would say, okay, if you got some wood chips, let the rain come or maybe a seasons of, of water fall on them to wash any toxic substances out. Research now says there ain't much. <laughs> There's not much toxic substances in the arborist wood chips in the first place. And that you can put a layer two to six inches deep over a spot where you want to plant next spring. And over the intervening months between September and next spring, it'll all break down. It'll mix in somewhat with the soil. The organisms, worms and things like that will start mixing the decomposing chips into the soil. And you'll have a really nice bed just by putting the chips on top of the soil and letting nature take its course over the few months we have till spring. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing you can do. Not wait much at all. Maybe one watering just just for the fun of it and just let it get a nice soaking of rain to wash anything that's in the chips out of them. Use them wherever you want to after that. So that's sort of what I would say do with chips. Do you have any further questions about that? Yeah, one of the things I was thinking of doing was digging the holes and lining the hole with a cardboard sleeve, putting good dirt in there, and then planting uh, the azaleas in that good dirt. Uh, would that work? Funny you would say that, because the same people doing the research on the wood chips are vehemently against using newspaper or cardboard as any kind of mulch or, or, or barrier or anything like that in the, on top of or in the soil. Because they say all it does is inhibit root growth, that the cardboard may deteriorate after a while. It will. You know that. Mm -hmm. But it still keeps the roots from going as fast as they want to into the surrounding soil. And I'll tell you, in my case, Joel, the mealybugs, not mealybugs, the roly-polies just eat that newspaper up. And then they come up and eat my pansies and eat my other tender things that I've planted in that area. So I have stopped using newspaper just because the roly-polies ate everything. So, so just, I, don't, I don't like newspaper or cardboard anymore. I've, I've sworn off of them now. So just dig the hole and put good soil in it and then plant the, uh, c the cuttings into the good soil? You got it. Okay, thank you so much. All right, Joel. Great talking to you. Thanks right, for calling. Bye. 6.42 on a Saturday morning. Whose turn would it be now then? Uh, Tony. Tony's out in uh, Fayetteville. Hey, Tony, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well, Tony. How's the beautiful city of Fayetteville this morning? Oh, uh, as as you probably left it last time. <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> Listen, uh, Walter, I have uh, 5,000 square feet of zenith zoysia. Got it. And I struggle every year desperately with crabgrass. Hmm. I put pre-emergence down. I use HALT. Yeah, good problem. I usually look around March 15th and October 15th to put it down. Right. But it always seems like... The weather is so fickle down here that I'm not sure I get it down at the right time. Last year, I went on your website and saw what you said in the springtime when you had three consistent nights of 60 degrees. Got it. Well, what's the days? I forget exactly what it was. That's when you apply it, and I did. What about the fall? You got that fickle Fayetteville weather is what you have there, Tony. Yeah. You know, something you could consider, because you say you struggle with it for year after year after year. And it seems like it gets thicker year after year after year. We're going to do start splitting your application. And splitting means use half strength at one point and half strength at another point a couple of weeks, a couple of months later. And for the spring, that's when crabgrass is germinating, as you pointed out with the temperatures, soil temperatures and nighttime temperatures, when they start rising in the spring, that's when the crabgrass seeds start germinating, right? So. Okay. One one option, and I think it's a good one for you, is to put your first application at half strength out around the first week of March. Wait six weeks. That's about right. That'll put you into, what, May, 
early, early May and put another application out then because you've extended the whole season of crabgrass prevention from early March all the way through May, June, July maybe. So okay. you should, if you put the hulse down correctly, then water it in, you know about doing that, then you should get really good control of the crabgrass. Okay, what about the fall? Do you recommend putting it down in the fall also? I think it's better, you said October, and I think better to do it in mid-September. There's another one where temperature is all, all important there. If it's temperatures at night are in the mid-60s, low-60s, and falling, then that's when the bluegrass and the henbit and the chickweed and things like that start germinating. And okay. so to some extent, you're looking at the weather, listening to what Kirk says, but also I think around the mid, mid-September is about the right time to think about the pre-emergent in the fall. Okay, and we, you're talking about the normal application there, not the half application. Yeah, I think in the fall it's pretty easy to just okay. do the one app. Well, yeah. I appreciate that. I do, I do, I do. Thank you so much, and we'll, I'll let you know how it works out. I'll tell them, hey, for me in Fayetteville, Tony. Hey, <laughs> Tony, you. one more thing. Yeah. Have you ever been to the uh, tractor show and old-time community thing down in Inman down there? No, I have not. Tony? It is the most fun thing in the whole wide world, and if I were not going to be out of town this year, I'd be there for the, like the fifth year in a row. Do you know where Edmund is, south of Fayetteville? Yeah, I do. All right, down Highway 92. Right. Rick Minter and a whole bunch of his tractor-building friends, truck-rebuilding friends, have this enormous tractor community, old-time farm day. They have just all sorts of tractors and other engines and a sawmill and a cotton mill and just food, have the cast iron pots with peanuts boiling in them, just all sorts of stuff, blackness hmm. shop too. And it's all on the first, second, third maybe uh, weekend in September. You can go to, um, I think it's just type Inman Farm Days or something like that in Google, it'll tell you exactly about it. But it is one of the most fun things I go to, as I say, in previous years, I won't this year, but it is a great, fun community thing, and all those tractors are awesome. Well, I will look into that. Sounds like it would be a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Take your family, and I think they'll enjoy it, too. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Sure, Tony. Thanks for calling so much. It's 647, almost 648. A reminder, one of the things you can do when you go to my website at WalterReeves.com is check out the opportunity to go with me next spring to Southeast Asia. I've never thought about going to Southeast Asia. never even wanted to go to Southeast Asia. I just knew... What I've seen in National Geographic, maybe, and on TV, of course, in the 60s. But now that they are our valued trading partner, Vietnam, Cambodia, some of the other countries around there are valued trading partners. Now I think it's be fun, safe, and interesting and fascinating, really, to go over there and see what's going on and see gardens, see jungles, see river dolphins, see all sorts of neat things in Southeast Asia. And a bunch of people that are friends of mine and who've gone on trips before are all signed up for it. And I want you to have the opportunity to. Right now we have 30, one, two, three, 33 people on it. We have only 30 room for 35 or maybe 36 if we have another person to take up a single room. So only three more slots open for this. And if you've ever thought about traveling to another part of the world with a fun group of people, people about my age, mid 60s, some of them retired, some not almost retired. Go to my website, check out the details right there on our trip to Cambodia, the Mekong River, Vietnam, next spring in February. It's 648. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. Seems I've got to have a You can do it. Come on, girls. It is. Jason is coming. That's right. We feel it all right on a Saturday morning. Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves and Georgia Gardner. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, high of 89, low of 72. Carbon coffee tomorrow, carbon coffee Monday. High of 89 to 90, low of 71 or 72 degrees. About a 20% chance of rain. The full weekend forecast because of it 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And if you want something fun to watch, Mad Dogs and Englishmen. Great documentary about Joe Cocker. Denise in North Carolina joins us this morning. Hey, Denise. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Actually, I'm heading up to North Carolina. I'm from there, but oh. my mother has a uh, gardenia bush. She's had about 30, 35 years. It's my father planted it, so it's kind of yeah. special, sentimental. Of course. Anyway, the past three years, every time, you know, we're, I mean, we're up there every few weeks and so. Um, we have to clean it out. There's this thing we found out. It's a Virginia creeper. Okay. Oh, my gosh. It is. <laughs> it literally is. <laughs> I, I, I think evil thoughts when I start pulling those things. Oh, it but could I, be I have worse. It Come out. on. It could be kudzu. It could be creeping cucumber. It could be lots of things. But, yeah. Virginia creeper is pretty aggressive. Yeah, sure is. I think I, I think that's what it is because we've talked to some other neighbors and they said that yeah they have it too and they kind of looked it up and it was a Virginia creeper. So anyway, we'll okay. just say it's that. Okay? okay, but anyway, it's it chokes the life out of the gardenia bush and literally when we pull it the next day the gardenias are blooming. I mean that's how how much fast. shade? Yeah, the vine is shading out the buds and all of a sudden they get some sunshine and wow up they come out they come. Yeah, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. So what do we do? I mean, how could I mean we just keep pulling and pulling, and obviously that's not going to solve the problem. And even trying to get to the root, huh. is this, you know, is this just one gardenia, Denise, or a bunch of gardenias in a row, or how big is the problem? It's it's a really large gardenia bush, very large. I and, would um, think. Wait a minute. I would think that if you pull everything, I mean. Virginia creeper comes up from from its roots somewhat, from seeds sometimes as well. But, man, it seems to me that if you got all the roots out of it at least one time, you would have much problem after that. So that's what I would say, Denise. I mean, there's no spray or anything like that. You can tell the difference between the vine and the shrub. So I think it's pull, 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 and get somebody to come behind you and check and make sure you got everything out of there. Make sure it's Virginia Creeper, too. Go on my website, type Virginia Creeper. I've got lots of pages about it with pictures and stuff like that. But if you have Virginia Creeper, I think the best thing to do is simply to keep on pulling and finally get it all out of there. It's 6.58. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news.